Chapter 17 Simple Methods by Which Anyone Can Win Others to Christ And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran to him, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Acts chapter 8, verses 29-30 through 30. One of the greatest joys on earth is the joy of bringing others to a saving knowledge of Christ. I have heard people say that when they were converted, the whole world seemed different. The sun seemed to shine with a new light. There was new music in the song of the birds. And all nature seemed clothed with new beauty and glory. I had no such experience when I was converted. In fact, I was converted in the middle of the night, and the sun was not shining at all. But I did have such an experience the first time that I led another one to a definite acceptance of Jesus Christ as their definite Savior. I had been dealing with this person for two solid hours and seemed to be making little headway. Then, at the very close, he yielded and accepted Christ. When I left the building where this decision had been made, it was nearly sunset in the springtime. The whole world seemed to have a beauty that I had never seen before. I felt like I was walking on air. My heart was filled with joy such as I had never known. No other joy compares to the joy of saving men, and it is possible for every child of God, no matter how humble and ungifted, to have this joy. God's most approved method of winning others to Christ is indicated in the text. The method of personal face-to-face dealing with the lost. The high estimate that God places upon this form of work is seen in the context. Philip was in the midst of a great revival in Samaria. Great crowds assembled daily to listen, and a strange command came to him to leave this great work that had stirred the whole city and go to the way that went from Jerusalem unto Gaza. The same is desert. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Wise man as he was, strange as the order must have seemed, Philip, without a moment's questioning or hesitation, arose and went. An inquiring soul passed by in his chariot, and the Spirit of God whispered to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot, and Philip ran. If only we were as prompt to obey the first whisper of the Spirit when he bids us to go and speak to others. Our Master did not consider it beneath himself to speak to one at a time. We have more frequent records of his dealing with individuals than we have of his preaching sermons to vast audiences. The one-by-one method of soul-winning is the method that God delights to honor. But how shall we do it? Select your man to win. In personal work, as in all forms of work, specificity is of tremendous importance. There are hosts of people who have a longing to win someone to Christ but they do not pick out any specific individual to win, so they fail. A precise purpose to lead some specific individual to a distinct acceptance of a specific Savior will accomplish vastly more than a vague longing to lead an indefinite number of indefinite persons into some ambiguous experience. But how shall we select the individuals whom we are to win to Christ? Try prayer. 
Some persons are the peculiar property of each of us. We can lead them to Christ, and no one else can. Who these persons are, God alone knows. But He is willing to tell us if we will only ask Him. We should go to Him and ask Him to show us who the persons are that He would have us lead to Christ. Then we should wait on Him, listen for His voice, that still, small voice, as it speaks in our hearts. When He mentions that person, we should write that one's name down and determine that we will lead that person to Christ. Select those who are accessible. The most accessible of all are those in our own family, and that is the place to begin, in your own home. Jesus said to the demoniac whom he had healed and who wished to accompany him on his missionary journeys, Return to thy house, and declare how great things God hath done for thee. Luke chapter 8, verse 39. When Andrew found Christ, he went first to his own brother Simon and brought him unto Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 41 through 42. No one of us should rest as long as any member of our own household is unsaved. I do not mean that we should confine our efforts to them, but we should begin with them and keep after them. Some say that the hardest persons to lead to Christ are those in our own households. This is not true. If your life is right with God, no one will know it as well as those who live with you, and no one else can influence them as well as you can. The holiest and sweetest privilege that a father or mother has is the privilege of bringing their own children to Christ. We are commanded to do this in the Word of God. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but nurture them in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And this we can do, for God does not command the impossible. I should feel that my wife and I had been robbed of one of the sweetest privileges of life if anyone else should lead one of our children to Christ. Of course, I would infinitely rather they would be led by someone else to Christ than not to be led at all, but it is our sacred privilege to do it ourselves. Next to those in your own family are those with whom you are associated in business or in work. If you are a shop assistant, go to work on your own co-workers. If you are a laboring man, go to work on your fellow laborers. If you are a businessman, go to work on your partners and your employees. If you are a student, go to work on your fellow students. Try first for the man next to you. I meet many people who desire to win men to Christ in China, but they are not willing to make any strong effort to win to Christ the unsaved members in their own homes or their next-door neighbors. Sending anyone out as a foreign missionary who has not first demonstrated their love for souls and their capacity to win them to Christ by winning others to Christ at home is a suicidal policy. Select those who are approachable. As a rule, those of your age are more approachable than those of a widely different age. Young men are best to deal with young men, middle-aged men with middle-aged men, and old men with old men. Children often have more influence with children than adults do. Select those of the same sex. As a rule, it is best for men to deal with men and women to deal with women. 
That rule has a few exceptions, but not many. Immense mischief has come through the disregard of this rule of practical wisdom. I always take it as a bad sign when I see young men who are constantly dealing with young women, or young women who are constantly dealing with young men. I have never known a case of this kind that did not turn out badly. Some of the saddest tragedies I have ever known have come through mistakes of this sort. Of course, an elderly motherly woman can deal wisely with young men and boys, and occasionally elderly men can deal wisely with little girls and young women, but my long experience with Christian workers has strengthened the conviction in me of the wisdom of the rule, men with men and women with women. Select people of the same station in life. This rule also has exceptions. There are notable instances on record where servants have led their masters to Christ. The great Earl of Shaftesbury was led to Christ by a nurse in the home. But as a rule, people can be most readily approached by others in the same class of society. No one can deal as well with a lawyer as another lawyer. No one can deal as well with a physician as another physician. No one, as a rule, can deal as well with a tradesman as another tradesman. No one can deal as effectively with a student as a fellow student. Select those who are agreeable. To all of us, some people are pleasant and others are not. Just why they are agreeable we cannot always tell, but we know it is a fact. Some who take to Alexander do not take to me, and some who take to me do not take to Alexander. Now those who take to me are the ones for me to deal with, and those who take to Alexander are the people for Alexander to deal with. Alexander can reach people that I could not touch, but I can reach people that Alexander cannot touch. However we may account for these things, they are facts, and a wise soul winner always takes account of facts. He concerns himself more with the facts than with the philosophy of the facts. He acts upon the facts and lets the philosophy of them take care of itself. There is not a person who doesn't have some acquaintance that he can touch and that nobody else in the world can touch. You are responsible before God for that one. You need not confine yourself absolutely to those whom you select to win. Always be ready at the slightest opening of opportunity to win anyone to Christ that comes your way. But concentrate on the one you do select. Never lose sight of the fact that you are to win that man for Christ and never rest until he is won. Lay siege for him. When you have selected your man to win, the next thing is to lay siege for him. Do you know what it is to lay siege for a soul? Did you ever select a certain individual and lay siege for that individual to win him to Christ, cost what it may, and take as long as it might? You know how an insurance agent conducts his business. He goes into a town and selects those who seem to be likely risks. Then he lays siege for them. He writes them letters. He sends them literature. He calls upon them. He persistently follows up on them. He studies them. He learns their tastes and how they can be best approached. And he never rests until he has insured these persons that he has selected to insure. 
I have had some experience with the persistent attentions of these insurance agents. I have nothing to say against their determination. I simply want to recommend their methods to soul winners. Shouldn't we be as businesslike and as much in earnest in insuring people for eternity as an insurance agent is in insuring them for time? He does it for the money that he can make out of it. We do it for a higher objective. The glory of God and the salvation of those whom we are pursuing. But how shall we lay siege for them? By prayer. When you have selected a man to win for Christ, you should pursue him by prayer day and night, day after day, week after week, and if need be, year after year. In order to be specific, make a prayer list. Write on a sheet of paper, God helping me, I promise to pray earnestly and work persistently for the salvation of the following persons. Then kneel down and ask God to tell you who to put on that list. Do not make it too long. When you have made it, keep your promise. One by one as they accept Christ, you can take their names off the list and add others. Everywhere we have gone around the world, we have had people make such prayer lists as this, and people are constantly coming to us and telling us, another one gone off my prayer list. One of the leading businessmen of Belfast, an active Christian worker, made such a prayer list when we were in that city. He came to me toward the close of the mission and said, The last one has gone off my prayer list today. They have all been saved. By personal effort It is well to pray, but it is not enough to pray. Praying for the salvation of others is an act of insincerity unless we are willing to go to those for whom we pray and talk with them. Beg them to be reconciled to God. Sometimes you will not go for the conquest of the soul directly. You will first prepare the way. Last season, while I was holding missions around the country, my family resided in Southport. I would go there to spend my holidays. The first time I went there, I met a man whom God laid upon my heart and whom I determined to win for Christ. He was a most unlikely case. He had once been in a good position, but had plummeted with alcohol. I cultivated his acquaintance, gained his friendship, and watched for my opportunity to win him for Christ. Every time I met him on the street, I would speak with him. When he was inclined to show me little acts of kindness, I accepted them in order to win him. Time after time I met him, and the opportunity to speak about the great question did not come. When I was in Manchester, I referred to him and about my waiting for an opportunity, and a man in the audience said to another, Well, he will die before he speaks to him. But he was mistaken. I was watching and praying. God was listening, and the opportunity came. I returned from a mission and heard that this man had caught a cold and was quite ill. I met his daughter and asked if I could see her father. She said, Yes, he heard that you were coming home and wondered if you would not come to see him. I went to the room where he was lying in bed and found him very ill and very approachable. In fact, his wife was trying to read the Bible to him. I took the Bible and read passages that point out our need of a Savior 
of God's love to us though we are sinners, and of God's way of salvation. I then explained the way of salvation and prayed with him. The next evening I met his daughter again and asked her if I could see her father again. Yes, he was hoping that you would come again and wondered if you would not. I heard that he had been talking about me and about my son whose acquaintance he had also made. For part of the time he had been in delirium, and in his delirium he had been talking about my son. I went to see him and found him perfectly clear in mind, but I felt he would not pull through the night. I was more specific than the night before and explained the way of life simply and fully, and he professed to accept Christ. I then knelt by his bed and prayed, and afterwards I asked him to follow me in prayer. Word by word, he followed me in the confession of his sin and in the expression of his belief in God's testimony about Jesus Christ. That Jesus had carried his sin in his own body on the tree. He asked God to forgive his sins because Jesus had carried them in his own body on the cross. He told his heavenly Father that he trusted that he had forgiven his sins because of the atoning death of Christ. He told his Father that if it was his will, he wished to be raised from this bed of sickness in order to serve Christ, but that if it was not his will to raise him up, he was willing to be taken from this world, to depart and be with Christ. When I arose, he seemed to be resting in the Lord Jesus. Two hours later there was a rap on my door, and a lady came in and told me that he had passed away, trusting in Christ about an hour after I left. By Letters We cannot reach many people by a conversation, but we can reach them by letters. A letter is sometimes more effective than direct personal conversation. A letter can be read at leisure and apart by oneself, and it can be read again and again. Eternity alone will reveal how many thousands have been won to Christ by the medium of letters from earnest Christians. There is tremendous power in the pen. Have you consecrated your pen to Christ? You may not be able to write books, but you can write letters, and letters are often more effective than books. I know a woman in humble circumstances who makes a practice of writing letters to criminals in prison all over the United States. She has to do extra work to make the money to pay the postage for these letters, but her efforts have been greatly blessed by God. I have personally known a number of criminals in different states who have been won to Christ by the letters of this godly woman. In one of our missions, one of the most prominent men in the town was just leaving the town as we arrived. In the good providence of God, the ship upon which he was sailing ran aground, and he had to return to the town. The next day was Sunday, and this man attended the meeting and was somewhat impressed. A leading lady of the town heard that he had been unable to get away and had been at the meeting, so she wrote him a letter urging him to accept Christ. This letter was accompanied by much prayer, and it did its work. This man came forward publicly and told the great throng of people that he had accepted Christ. His conversion made a great impression upon the whole community. By Tracts and Booklets and Books There is great power in well-chosen tracts and books. 
The writer of one tract had letters from 1,600 people saying they had been brought to Christ by that tract. Sometimes you can hand a tract directly to those you wish to reach, but often you can reach people more effectively by indirection. They would be offended if you handed them a tract, but if you leave it around, they will pick it up out of curiosity and read it. If there is an especially difficult case with someone, it is advantageous to invite him to your home. On the first night of his arrival, retire early, but leave some well-chosen book that you wish him to read. Remove every other book from his room and provide a good light to read by. When he has been shown to his room at this unusually early hour, he will not wish to retire for the night. He will say, Why do these people go to bed so early? I wonder if there is not something to read. He will look around and find there is only one book in the room. He will say, It is a religious book, and will very likely add, I don't care for religious books, but there is nothing else to read. He will sit down and begin to read that book. All this time, you are in another room praying for him. Sometimes it is best to put a tract under a person's pillow. When they are restless in the night, they feel the touch of that tract as they put their hand under their pillow. All men are naturally curious. They will turn on a light and read the tract and may be saved by it. A young man in London was urged repeatedly by his godly mother to accept Christ. He was determined that he would not, and at last, to escape the unceasing pleadings of his mother, he left home and went to a town in the north of England. He obtained lodgings in this town. The woman with whom he obtained them was a godly woman. Seeing this young man away from home, her heart went out to him, and she put a tract under his pillow. When he went to bed that first night away from home, he was restless. Putting his hand under his pillow, he felt the tract and wondered what it was. He turned on a light and found it was a religious tract. He said to himself, Here I have run away from home to get rid of my mother's constant pleadings with me to become a Christian, and the first night away I find a tract under my pillow. I might as well give in. And he did. He accepted Christ. A friend of mine was once living in a godless home. When he left the home, he left his Bible behind with a tract in the Bible. After he had gone, out of curiosity, the lady of the house opened his Bible. It opened to where the tract lay, and she read it. She was converted by that tract. When he came back several days later for his Bible, he found that several members of the household had been led to Christ by that tract. By such methods as these, and by all methods, by every kind of sanctified ingenuity, lay siege for those whom you have selected to win for Christ. General Suggestions A few general suggestions as to the spirit in which the work is to be done. Be persistent. It is at this point that many would-be soul-winners fail. They make one or two attempts to lead others to Christ, and these attempts appear to be unsuccessful, so they give up. No one can win souls to Christ in this way. The way to succeed in any kind of business is by persistence. A person can do most anything in this world that he makes up his mind to do if he will only stick to it. 
Stick-to-itiveness is a priceless grace, especially in soul-winning. If one effort does not succeed, make another. If the second does not succeed, make another. If the hundredth effort does not succeed, make the hundred and first attempt. Don't give up until you win, if it takes fifty years. I prayed and worked for the salvation of one man for fifteen years. I seemed to make absolutely no headway. He wandered further and further from God, but I did not give up. There could hardly be a more unlikely case than he was, utterly sunken in worldliness and sin, but I won. I had the joy of seeing that man become a preacher of the gospel, and today he is in heaven. When he was converted, his old friends could hardly believe it. It seemed preposterous to them that such a person had been converted, but he had. You can win anyone to Christ if you are willing to keep at it. Be courteous. Nothing costs less, and few things pay better in this world than courtesy. It pays in business, but there is no place where it pays better than in soul-winning work. You may be poor, but you can be well-bred. Treat every man with whom you deal as a gentleman, and every woman with whom you deal as a lady. I have seen people go at others in the most overbearing, discourteous, and irritating way. They assume an air of superiority. They treat the one with whom they are dealing as if he had no sense. They act as if they were determined to pound their ideas into another man's head. Now every person of sense and character resents this kind of treatment. The person with whom you deal may be wrong, but you can treat his opinions and his feelings with consideration and kindness. You are far more likely to win him in that way. Never have heated arguments with those you wish to lead to Christ. Listen to what they have to say. Treat them with civility. It is quite possible to expose the hatefulness of another's sin in a courteous and considerate way. You will produce far deeper conviction in that way. Avoid all intimacies with those with whom you are dealing. A gentleman or a lady always resents undue familiarity. I have seen a man sit down in our discussions after the meetings beside a young woman and put his arm along the back of the seat of the woman. Any lady resents such conduct and is likely to get up and leave the meeting. It is all right for a man to put his arm around a drunkard who has not had a kind action shown to him in years, as you kneel in prayer. It is all right for a lady to put her arm around a fallen sister who has had nothing but curses and abuse for years. It may be the first touch of a loving hand that she has had for many years and may soften her heart. But every worker must be careful to treat everyone with whom they deal with all due respect and courtesy. Be earnest. Many would-be soul winners are utterly professional. Those with whom they deal cannot help but see that they have no real interest in their spiritual welfare and no deep concern for their souls. Such a worker may have a large technical knowledge of the Bible and of the right passages to use in dealing with certain classes of people, but his knowledge counts for nothing unless there is deep reality and earnestness behind it. Other workers may have a comparatively small knowledge of the Word, 
but such an earnest love for the perishing that their little knowledge is used vastly beyond the superior knowledge of the other. In a certain town lived an unbelieving blacksmith who was well-read in secular literature and rejoiced in his power to defeat any opponent in argument. A deacon in the town had a great longing for this man's salvation. He studied the secular literature and the arguments to counter it. When he thought he had mastered the subject, he called upon this blacksmith to persuade him that he was wrong in his opinions, but he proved no match for the blacksmith. In a few moments the blacksmith had shattered his arguments and defeated him utterly. The deacon knew that he was right, but he could not prove it to the blacksmith. In his deep yearning for the salvation of the blacksmith, he burst into tears and said, All I can say is that I have a great spiritual concern for your soul. Then he left, went to his home, burst in upon his wife, and said, Wife, I am a blunderer in God's work. God knows I really love that blacksmith's soul, and I went down to prove to him that he was wrong, but in a few minutes he beat me utterly in argument. I am only a blunderer in God's work. He then retired to his room and knelt down to pray. He said, O God, I am a failure in your work. You know that I have a real desire for that man's salvation, but I have failed utterly in my attempt. I am a blunderer in your work. But soon after he had left the blacksmith's shop, the blacksmith went into his house and said to his wife, who was a godly woman, Wife, Deacon was just over talking to me. He used one argument I did not understand. He said he had a great spiritual concern for my soul. What did he mean? His wife, who was a wise woman, said, You had better go and ask him. The blacksmith hung up his apron and went across the fields to the deacon's house. Just as he ascended the porch and was at the door, he heard the deacon in prayer saying that he was a failure in God's work. He pushed open the door and cried, Deacon, you are no failure in God's work. I thought I knew all the arguments for Christianity and that I could answer them all but you used an argument this morning I never heard before and I cannot answer. You said you had a great spiritual concern for my soul. The deacon had the joy immediately of leading that man to Christ. Have you a great spiritual concern for the souls of the perishing? If not, the sooner you get it, the better for you and for the lost. Be Winsome a winsome manner goes a long way in soul-winning. It is just as easy to smile as it is to scowl. It is just as easy to be cheerful and delightful as it is to be rude and repellent. Some people seem to take pride in their brusque, overbearing manner, but brusqueness is not a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. A cheerful manner, the outcome of a life controlled by the Holy Spirit, is of more importance in soul winning than a theological education. Acts of kindness go a long way toward paving the way to the gate of a man's heart. During visitation, a young missionary in Chicago found an unbeliever dying from tuberculosis. Day after day, she visited him with little gifts to make his last days on earth more pleasant. One day she'd bring a glass of jelly, another day something else. 
After about 30 days of such kind treatment, she became fearful that his time was short. She came to me at the close of my Bible class one Sunday afternoon and said, Won't you come with me to see a dying man? I am afraid he will not live through the night. I hurried with her to the poor room where the infidel lay dying. His wife was a Roman Catholic. I sat down by his bed and read the scriptures to him, the scriptures that make plain the love of God for sinners, the death of Christ in our place, and the way of salvation through our crucified Savior. I then asked him if I might pray with him, and he consented. I prayed God to open his eyes, to show him that he was a lost sinner, but that Jesus had borne all his sins in his own body on the cross. Then I began to sing in a low tone by his bed, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I sang it through verse after verse until I reached the last verse, and then I heard the dying infidel in a feeble voice join me in the verse. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I looked up and asked him if he really had come. He said that he had. He passed into eternity that night. I was asked to conduct the funeral service. Standing by his casket with his unbelieving friends standing on the other side, I told how utterly insufficient his infidel views had proven in the time of crisis and of death and how in those last hours he had accepted Christ. Then I said, Who of you today will take the same step? One stalwart infidel reached his hand across the casket and said, I will. I have sympathized with this man in his infidel views, but I give it up now and take Christ. His wife also accepted Christ, and today is a devoted member of our church in Chicago. But my brief visit did not win him to Christ. It was the kind, Christ-like conduct of the young woman missionary. Be full of love. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit, and it is the all-conquering power in soul-winning work. I doubt that there is a heart on earth that cannot be conquered by love. We have in America a devoted Christian woman of culture, refinement, and position who has a heart full of love for the most outcast and abandoned. She has devoted much of her life and strength to getting women appointed in jails and lockups for the reception and charge of female prisoners. Often she has found it hard work to convince the authorities to put a woman in charge of the female prisoners. In one city they said to her, Mrs. Barney, no woman can manage the class of women with whom we have to do. Mrs. Barney replied, You never had a prisoner that I could not manage. We would like to have you try your hand on old Sal, was the laughing reply. I would like to, replied the gentle lady. Well, the next time we have her under arrest, we will send for you. Not long after, early one morning, Mrs. Barney received word that old Sal was under arrest, so she hurried down to the lockup. She asked to be shown to old Sal's cell. The sergeant at the desk protested that it was not safe. Look there, he said to Mrs. Barney, pointing to four policemen with torn clothes and faces. There is a specimen of old Sal's handiwork. 
It took these four men to arrest her. Never mind that, said Mrs. Barney. Show me to her cell. Well, if you must go, an officer must go with you. No, I will go alone. Just let the jailer open the door and I will go to her cell alone. Before going down, Mrs. Barney had asked the sergeant at the desk for Old Sal's right name. Why, he said, we always call her Old Sal. Yes, said Mrs. Barney, but I wish to use her right name. What is her right name? It is a long time since we first booked her, and we always book her now as Old Sal. Look up her right name, said Mrs. Barney. The sergeant went back through the books and found Old Sal's proper name. The jailer opened the door and pointed to her cell down the corridor. When Mrs. Barney reached the door, she saw a wild creature with gray, torn hair, disheveled garments, and glaring eyes, crouching in the corner of the cell, waiting to spring upon the first policeman that should enter. Good morning, Mrs. So-and-so, said Mrs. Barney, calling her by her true name. Where did you get that name? said the poor creature. Without answering her question, Mrs. Barney said, Sally, do you remember the first time you were committed here? My God, she cried, don't I? I spent the whole night crying on the floor of my cell. Suppose, said Mrs. Barney, there had been some kind Christian woman here to have received you that night and to have treated you gently. Do you think your life would have been different? Altogether different, she replied. Well, said Mrs. Barney, I am trying to get them to appoint a woman in this lockup to receive young girls when they are brought here for the first time, as you were when you were brought here that first night. Will you help me? I will do all that I can, she said. All the time Mrs. Barney had been drawing nearer and was now kneeling by her side on the cell floor. Gathering up her torn and grizzled hair, fastening it up with pins taken out of her own hair, pulling together the torn shreds of her garments and fastening them with pins taken from her own garments. The work was now done, and Mrs. Barney, rising to her feet, said, Sally, we are going into the courtroom. If you will be good, they will appoint a woman in this lockup. Shall I go in on your arm, or will you go in on mine? The strong woman looked at Mrs. Barney and said, I think I am stronger than you are. You had better go in on my arm and in they went to the court, the gentle lady leaning on the arm of the hardened old criminal. Sally restrained herself through the whole trial and answered the judge's questions pleasantly. She forgot herself once and swore at the judge, but immediately begged his pardon. Everybody was amazed at the transformation. A woman was appointed as matron of the jail, but best of all, Sally got her feet upon the Rock of Ages, and today... Old Sal is in glory. Love had conquered. It always will. O oh, men and women, young and old, go out to do this work. Seek the filling of the Spirit that God is so ready to give to us all, and in the power of that Spirit day after day, month after month, and year after year, labor on for the definite salvation of these specific souls that God shall bring your way. The time is getting short. Let us make the most of it. The End